So how we doing? On May 7th, 1931, one of the most notorious manhunts in the history of New York City finally came to an end. After weeks of searching, Two-Gun Crowley, as the killer was called, he was a killer that was known for never smoking or drinking and being very kind to people. Uh, but he was at bay. He was trapped in his girlfriend's apartment on the west end of New York City's Avenue. And uh, 150 Cops and detectives had surrounded his top story uh, apartment and they had mounted machine guns and snipers all around his apartment. Uh, they tried to bring him out peacefully by cutting holes in his ceiling and dropping tear gas into his apartment, but he was hunkered down. And so for about one hour, for about one solid hour, the police filled that building with lead. Machine gun fire and pistol fire could be heard as thousands, they estimated about 10,000 people gathered on the sidewalks below. Nothing in New York City history had ever been seen like this. Crowley returned fire constantly and the fire just went back and forth. But what we learned later was that Crowley had crouched behind an overstuffed chair and it protected him. And so he would randomly shoot out the window and hide behind this overstuffed chair. Uh, but he was eventually hit during the battle and... Uh, one of the things that the commissioner, uh, the police commissioner, a guy named Moroni, said about Crowley was that, quote, quote, listen, that he will kill at the drop of a feather. But do you think that Crowley saw himself like that? Do you think that he saw himself like that? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, we know he didn't because he actually wrote a letter that was stained in his own blood during the gunfight. And this is what he writes in his own letter. He, said, he writes it, to whom it may concern. And there's a key line that comes out of the letter that he wrote during the gunfight. It says this, under my coat is a weary heart, a weary heart, but a kind one, one that would do nobody any harm. But just a couple of weeks before this, we learned something about Crowley. Crowley was having a little makeout session with his girlfriend on a little countryside road just outside of Long Island when a cop car pulls up behind it and it kind of finds this car out in the middle of nowhere. And so the officer gets out like any officer would do and approach the car uh, just like normal. And the girlfriend later states that the cop only said one very simple sentence. Can you show me your license, sir? And with that, Crowley reached over to gun Crowley, pulls out both of his pistols and unloads completely into the officer. As the officer hits the ground, she records later that he jumps out of the car, stands over the dead body of the officer and pulls out the officer's gun and completely fills or empties the officer's gun into the dead body. And this is the man who said that under this coat is a weary heart but a kind one, one that would do nobody any harm. Well, Crowley was eventually sentenced to death in the electric chair, and when he shows up at what they called the death house in Sing Sing Prison, 
Uh, what do you think Crowley's last words were? Do, do you think he said, this is what I get for killing a whole bunch of people? No, his last words were, this is what I get for defending myself. Hmm. The point of the story is this, is that two-gun Crowley didn't blame himself for anything. He didn't even realize the poison that was in his own veins. And friends, let me tell you something. This is us. This is really the story of us. We don't realize the poison that flows through our own veins. It is amazing how that you and I are the same. We can find and point out problems with every single person around us. Right? I mean, we can call out our siblings, our parents, our children, our friends, our employees. You can even call out the pastor about every single little thing, but we don't realize the poison that's racing through our own veins. And so we're launching this brand new series called Poisonous, right? And the truth is, some things are really deadly. Some things are a cancer to the soul. They will destroy, they will poison you. And I'm not talking about things that you ingest like chemicals or drugs or alcohol or something like that. No, 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 I'm talking about what's already inside of us. The poison that races through our bones, like the poison of greed, the, the poison of lust, jealousy, envy, uh, the poison of selfishness, the, the, the poison of, uh, of, uh, of uh, comparing and having a critical heart and a negative soul. These are the things that destroy. These are some of the deadliest things, and I want to talk about them. And I don't want to talk about those things that we see in other people. I want to talk about the things that we see in us, the things that are rooted down deep inside of us that are poisonous to our soul. And so here's what we'd like to do, if it's okay with you. I want to start off at both of our campuses, um, both at Riverview and at Taylor. I want us just to invite God to speak to us. I want to invite God to make this real for us, not about somebody else, but about us. Can we do this together at both of our campuses? Let's just bow for prayer together, everybody. Let's just bow together for prayer. So God, we come before you just over the next moment or two um, saying, God, that we have an open heart. Uh, we have an open soul. And God, we admit that it's real easy to point at other people and it's much harder to point at ourselves. Uh, so God, over the next few moments, would you speak to us? Would you speak to me, God, in this place? Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. God's children say, amen. Super excited that you're here. Uh, I remember when I was uh, a much younger man, about 29 years old, I announced that uh, we were going to start this little church called Metro. And I remember uh, even before the church had begun, I was at this uh, graduation party, uh, of, uh, and this man who was there, who was actually hosting the party, um, a man I very much respected, uh, he was older than I was, he was uh, very successful, uh, his kids were in my student program, and uh, I was at his party and celebrating his family, and he takes me aside and says, hey, can we take a little bit of a walk? And I'm like, sure, let's go for a walk. And, and I don't really know what to expect. And he puts his arm around me much like a fatherly tone. And as we're walking along, he, he says, uh, so you, you, you want to start a church? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, who starts a church? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to start a church, I guess. I don't know, you know? And he goes, so you want to you be a pastor? You want to be a preacher? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm thinking maybe this guy is going to ante up some Spank or something, you know what I mean? And uh, so I'm walking along and he looks at me, he just stops, true story, honest to God, true story. He looks at me and says, I think that's a terrible idea. 
And I respected this guy. And, and he said, that's a terrible idea. And he says, you're going to make a terrible pastor. And he said this. He said, you're going to ruin people if you be a pastor. And then he said this. Honestly, God, true story. He, he says, I hope you're good at something else because you're not going to be a very good preacher. Wow. Whew. I mean, you go, ouch. I mean, that, that's honestly God's story. And, and it, it hurts, right? Anybody in the room ever receive a healthy dose of criticism? Anybody in the room? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It hurts. It's, it's painful. Now, listen, when I'm talking about this idea of criticism, I'm not talking about the kind of uh, constructive feedback that you give somebody that, that you care about because you want to make them better in life. I'm not talking about that healthy kind of interaction, that healthy kind of feedback that, that people push against each other in order to lift one another. You know what I'm talking about, that kind of feedback, right? That's a different kind of thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this idea of a critical heart, a critical spirit. We're talking about this idea of critical nitpicking that can be unkind and uninformed and, and, and just simply cruel criticism that so often flows, not just from other people, but from us. And some of you right now, you're, you're, you're smiling, going, whew, this is so good. I can't wait for my spouse to hear this. My kids need to hear this. I'm going to, like, text this link to my boss, right? No, friends, uh, do I need to remind you that we're talking about the poison within, within you and within me? And this is true of you, and, and it's true of me. And here's the thing about this idea of criticism it is, uh, the, the problem with criticism is that it's really difficult to see in the mirror. I mean, it's really easy for us to see when somebody's criticizing us, and we hate it when somebody criticizes us, am I right? Uh, but too often, we don't realize when we're critical, because when we're critical, we feel justified in our criticism. We, if they weren't so stupid, if they weren't so you fill in the blank if they weren't so unkind, if they weren't so unspiritual, if they weren't so junky of parents, if they weren't so cruddy of neighbors, right? Then I wouldn't need to criticize them because after all, I know what's best for their life, right? You've heard the old saying, God has a beautiful plan for your life and so do I, right? God has a beautiful plan for your life and so do I. And if you don't live up to my plan, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to criticize you. We're going to criticize the way that you raise your kids. We're going to criticize the way that you dress, the way that you post on Facebook, the way that you drive, what you drive, where you live, where you go on vacation, because I know that you're in debt and I know that you can't afford that. What are you doing? That's crazy that you spend that money, right? And so we just criticize and we criticize and we Criticize. Have you ever noticed that we tend to judge others by their actions, but listen, but listen, but our, and ourselves by our intentions? Come on. Come on. Let me read that again. That was so good, Pastor Jay. Listen, this has been out there forever. You've heard this when you were a kid, right? Uh, we, we tend to judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. And this is just human nature. And this is true of you. And, it, and it's true of me. But the problem is, is that um, it is hard to make a right judgment because we do not have a heart x-ray machine. We cannot look into the soul of somebody else's intention, right? We, we just can't. But, but the truth is, is that what we need to get good at is criticizing ourselves. We need to get good at criticizing ourselves or thinking critically about ourselves. But let's just be honest, it is, it is way more fun to be critical of somebody else. It is way more fun to sit around the little dinner table and to talk about how, how bad somebody else is, about how they just don't know what you know, about how they are falling short in all of these areas. But somehow you 
and you alone got it all together. So what is a critical spirit? What's a critical heart? What are we really talking about? It is this obsessive attitude of criticism. It's this idea of finding fault, right? You can even write that down. It's this idea of finding fault in every single little thing. It's this idea of of tearing down rather than building up. And destructive criticism, I'm gonna say it again, destructive criticism is very different than constructive feedback. So I'm not talking about like, wow, that guy just murdered somebody. That's a bad thing. That's a good criticism right there, okay? That is a good and honest criticism. I'm not talking about the obvious. I'm talking about this, this spirit that is in so many of us that just nitpicks and nitpicks and nitpicks and nitpicks and it ends up destroying not them, but you, but you. And, and so I just want to show you uh, uh, something very straightforward from God's word. And, and I believe the Bible is God's word to us. I don't know where you are with that, but in this church, we believe in God's word. And we believe it shapes us, and we believe it moves us, and we believe it challenges us to become more than we can be on our own. It is how we know the character and nature of God. And here is what Paul writes to us from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, starting in verse 14. I'll just put up on the screen here for you. Check this out. I'm sure you're kind of familiar with this. Uh, He quotes Jesus here. He quotes Jesus a little bit. He says, for the, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Have you heard this before? Love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody? Anybody heard that before? Love your neighbor as yourself. But verse 15, he says, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out before, uh, be, 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 beware of destroying one another. He says, love your neighbor. Uh, be careful with your words. But if your words are constantly critical, if your words are constantly cutting into people, if you're constantly harsh and belittling with your words, if you're constantly negative with your words, listen, you are gonna crush the human relationships around you. You're gonna crush them. And, and so pause real quick. Some of y'all are going, well, Mr. Pastor Man, what gives you the right to talk about all this? Nothing. Nothing. I'll tell you the reason I'm talking about this. It's because when I look at the poison in my own life, I'll just be completely honest. Uh, this poison of criticism runs deep in my veins. And I don't know where it started with me. Um, but as far as I can look back, and the people closest to, to me would tell you, um, you have a critical nature. You have a critical soul. You have a critical heart underneath a, of a lot of it. And uh, I don't know where it started. I don't know. My, my father was negative. My grandfather was negative. I don't know if it just kind of runs in the blood, but I can tell you this. I've taken it to a whole new art form. And, and it's not good. It has hurt a lot more than it has helped in my life. And, and, and I just got to be honest. I've spent a lot of it. And I, let me just back up real quick because I want to be clear about something. There is a fine line. Listen. There is a fine line between having a critical eye and a critical heart. Am I right? Because a critical eye is necessary for success in life. Am I right? Come on. I mean, you got to know what's good and what's better and what's junk, right? You got to know if something's right or something's wrong. You got to have a, a discerning spirit. You got to have a, a critical eye in life. That is absolutely important to life. But we're not talking about just having a critical eye. We're talking about crossing the line. And truth is, I've crossed the line uh, way too often. Looking for reasons why I can nitpick somebody else, looking for what's wrong in them, looking to knock others down in order to somehow feel better about myself. I want to tell you how ridiculous this is. This is true of me, and this is terrible. I'm just putting it all out there. Uh, I'll go to like some large church that's reaching thousands and thousands, way more people than we are, and I'll walk in there and I'll go, 
what do they got going on that we don't got going on? Right? And I'll go, our video guys are way better than these guys. Our band kills these guys. I mean, their preacher, so-so, right? So-so, and they don't even have a cafe. I mean, what kind of church doesn't have a cafe, right? And I don't know what's wrong with me. And there's just something inside the human heart that wants to knock somebody else down, right? So that somehow you can just feel a little bit better about who you are and what you've achieved in life. A a critical spirit dwells on the negative, am I right? It just dwells there and it looks for flaws rather than the positive qualities in other other people. Uh, uh, Critical hearts are constant complainers, right? And they're constant criticizers and, and they're usually upset with somebody at some point of every single day in their life. It just is there in the blood. And let me tell you something, friends. Uh, People with critical hearts, I just want you to think about yourself for a moment. You have a hard time not gossiping. You have a hard time not slandering. You have a hard time speaking life into situations, speaking hope into situations. Because there's something wrong with your heart. And Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, listen, what happens? The mouth speaks. The life goes out of the heart. And so if our heart is wicked, if our heart is broken, and if our heart is negative, and if our heart is critical, out of that will come a critical life. Anybody in the room uh, want to just admit? You, you know somebody? Maybe you know somebody? Come on, you know somebody who's critical? Let's just start there. You know somebody? The question is, is, is this you? Not just is this them. Is this you? But here's what we do, like, oh, I'm not, really, I'm not really critical. No, 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 I'm just being discerning, right? Or no, 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 I'm not judgmental, I'm not mean. No, 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 I'm just being honest. I heard some lady actually tell me the other day, uh, I'm just telling you like it is, right? I'm just telling you like it is. No, you're mean. You're just mean, right? Just keep your mouth shut for a day, right? I mean, you're just mean. Uh, and, and so, uh, friends, what if, what if, This critical heart that we have babied all of our life. What if this critical nature that we have nurtured all of our life, what what if it's actually keeping you from your God-given potential? What if it is keeping you from the potential of intimacy that God has designed for your marriage but you have never really achieved? The oneness of soul that a husband and wife is supposed to have. And you just keep digging into it. What what if it ruins the potential between you and your children? And what parent does not want what is good for their child or grandchild? Come on. And yet you and me, we got to correct them and we got to grow them. But in the process of that, how many have ever seen somebody crush a child? Come on, you've seen it. And sometimes that's me. And sometimes that's you. What, What if a critical heart... What if a critical soul has, has really uh, dampened your potential in the marketplace? Because honestly, nobody wants to promote a jerk. Nobody wants to promote a critical-natured person. What if it's kept you from the success in the marketplace that you really want? And listen, what if, as a follower of Jesus, and I don't know that you are, but what if your critical soul has kept you from shining the light of Christ around you just because nobody wants to hear from somebody who criticizes everyone, everything, all the time. No one. No one, no one, no one. And so friends, I think sometimes our words um, 
if we are going to become what God wants us to become, we've got to somehow manage our words. We've got to somehow manage our attitude. Uh, some people um, uh, speak with this cutting tone, but the scripture implores us to, to have a different tone in our life, have a different soul beneath us. It, it says to have a different kind of heart. Here, here's what it says in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter four, verse 29. I just want to read this to you. and Let this settle in on you. This, let, this, let, me say, let, let this shape who you're supposed to be. Let this shape your parenting. Let this shape your, your friendship, uh, the kind of employer or employee you are, the kind of grandparent you are. Let, let, it, let it shape you. I'm nervous up here for some reason. <laughs> People are walking around making noises. Scratch that from the CD or from the video. But let me just, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse 29, it says this. Listen to this. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk, listen to this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your what? Mouth, but only that which is useful for putting other people in their place. Oh, I'm so sorry. It says, but only what is useful for building others up according to their needs, right? That it may benefit those who listen. Not your benefit, but their benefit, right? He said, don't let it be unhelpful. Don't let it be unwholesome. Impure words come out of your mouth. Don't let this happen, right? He says, don't tear down other people. He says, lift don't destroy. He says, lift, don't break down. He says, lift, don't push away. He implores us to be the kind of people that somehow have a reach that sticks people to the gospel itself. Does that make sense? He, he wants us to be the kind of people who have an attractive edge to us that we love and that our love is apparent to the world around us. And sometimes that is very hard to do. So here is my hope, friends, for today. Um, my hope, is that we will walk out of this space realizing that our words have power, that our words have influence. Uh, a single word of criticism can cut through and penetrate the soul and it could stick with somebody for the rest of their life. But if I bet if I went around this room, almost every single one of us can reach back into our childhood and we can remember something that our moms or our dads said that cut our soul deeply and it has never escaped. But our words also have the power to lift, right? And our hope is, is that somehow we don't even know the value of this, but maybe our words, one single word of encouragement to somebody could change the trajectory of who they are. It could change their very essence and being. Words have power, right? And, and so to me, there's really two options that we can, that we can become, that we can choose from in, in, in life. And the first one, and you may want to write this down, we can be a fault finder, a fault finder. We can be a fault finder. And quite honestly, this is where, what I struggle with. This is where most of us are in life because it is our sin nature uh, it, it, that we tend to look and to find stuff that is wrong with people instead of what is right about people. Uh, those of you who are married, you know this all too well. You can pick a, par a perfectly good bride right before lunchtime, right? I mean, uh, perfectly good. But it's like, I don't, I don't like that outfit. I don't like... I, I don't even like the way you walk. I don't like the way you talk. I don't like the way you snore. I don't even like the way you, you, you breathe. And some of you chuckle because you've had that conversation, right? It's like, I can't do anything right for you, right? And we can pick them apart or you take this. 
excuse me, you take this right into the marketplace, right? You, you think about this, you go right in and you don't like the way your boss looks, you don't like the way she talks to customers, you don't like the way he uh, does the paperwork or reports the system or, or cr uh, creates the product or the flow, you don't like the way that they post on Facebook and, and somebody might be a Jesus follower, at least they say they're a Jesus follower and you're looking at their Instagram and they're like, oh, we're all about Jesus and you're like, no, baby, you're all about your body, that's what you're doing right there and you need to get that right. Right, And it goes everywhere. It looks like, you know what? Uh, you might as well just take your kids to prison right now because if you keep raising them like that, that's where they're going to end up. And you just can nitpick every single person apart. You know, like, I don't even like the way you drive. You need to take that Jesus bumper sticker off your car because, listen, you ain't no witness like that. Right? And we can just pick and find fault on everything and everybody. And we're good at it. It is human nature. We're fault finders. And, and, and let me tell you something, friends. Some of you who have been around <clears throat> the church world a little bit, uh, you may know this, uh, this but, but fault finders remind us a lot of the Pharisees. And Pharisees were not the heroes in the Bible, if you don't know. Pharisees were the religious rulers who kept the rules, who were holier than thou. They were the ones that, 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 that demanded perfection out of everybody else. And they were going to make sure that they ensured that you did life the way that they did life, the way that they saw life, and that you obeyed not God, but them. Pharisees. And friends, the truth is, is it's more than just being like a Pharisee. It's actually being like the devil himself. You know this, right? This critical heart is how the devil is described. Did you know that the devil has a whole bunch of names in the Bible? Anybody know that? Anybody know that? There's a whole bunch of characteristics of the enemy of God. But one of the characteristics, one of the things that the devil is labeled is the great accuser. Is the great accuser. He, he looks and he, and he points blame and he fixes blame. He fixes guilt and, and he, and he uh, criticizes the soul. He criticizes life. He's the one who, uh, that, that no matter what you do, no matter how you try to move forward, it's never, ever good enough. Anybody felt that way before? The Bible says that is the enemy of God that's making you feel that way. It is the enemy of God that lays accusations at the feet of our God, trying to convince God that you are not worthy of his presence in your life. And friends, that's a bunch of garbage. It is the enemy of God. And so often, <coughs> we criticize for a whole bunch of different reasons. And I want to just unpack these just very, very quickly. Think about why do we do this? Why is this inside of me personally? Well, I think it's because of pride. When I knock you down, I feel better about me. It's just that simple. It's that simple, isn't it? Come on, you agree? I, I think it's insecurity. It's the idea of I'm looking at somebody else and going, man, they are just so good and so perfect in so many ways. They got me on a hundred different levels. And if I can just find a thing or two to peg on them, it just kind of elevates my game a little bit, at least I think, right? Or, or, or think about this, so often we criticize uh, because we simply don't understand. And this is true, right? I mean, we criticize because we don't understand. So often, we criticize from a distance things that we know nothing about. We've seen this around here at our church lately, haven't we? A whole bunch of people. You can, you can criticize and you can label a whole bunch of people and an entire church without ever even stepping into that church, right? And they can label you and they can label us and they can label me because they don't understand. But I think a lot of times the truth is we do this out of ignorance because if we actually got into the know, if we got the information we needed, maybe, just maybe, 
Some would say, oh, oh, I get it now. I get it now. You're not as evil as I thought you were. Just a little bit evil, but not all the way evil, right? And, and so I do think that we, we tend to do this. And it, it's like we, we, we uh, criticize because we don't understand. It's like when, um, before we had kids, man, I was like the perfect parent before we had kids. I mean, it was amazing. I knew exactly what to do. It was incredible, right? Um, I, I could criticize parents all day long for how they disciplined their two-year-old in the grocery store. Uh, and the reason was because I never had a two-year-old in the grocery store before. But when you get your own two-year-old in the grocery store, you realize that you cannot negotiate with terrorists. It's just true, right? It's terrible. Uh, and you don't understand that until you have your own two-year-old. And so you're like, I know this is bad parenting. I know this is like going against everything I've ever thought or read, but I just surrender. I give up. You can have the candy. I will buy you a new bike. I will buy you a new car as long as you just get in the car. I'll get you a pony when you get home, like a real pony, if you just get in the car and stop embarrassing me, right? And so... Uh, um, we often criticize because we really don't understand what's going on in somebody else's life. And that is just not what God wants. We need to hear this, friends. We think that criticizing makes us look smarter. We, we think that somehow pointing out everybody else's defects somehow makes us look like the expert. It shows how much better we are. No, 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 friends. What it does is it makes you look insecure and mean-spirited. That's what it makes you look like. And that's what it makes me look like. And the funny thing is, so many times, I can't hardly help myself. Because it's in my heart. There's something wrong with my heart. And God wants to do work in our hearts. He wants to change our hearts. Anybody? He wants to change us from the inside out. And so uh, ask yourself this question. Somebody, uh, I read this uh, from somebody. He says, ask yourself a question. Have you ever met a critical, uh, a critical person that you wanted to be like? Have you ever? <laughs> I was thinking about it. No. No, because they all end up looking like a, just a mean-faced jerk face, Right? That's just how it is, right? Um, here, here's what I'm learning these days. If we want to impact the world for good, if I want to be a good husband, if I want to move my children toward greatness, I need to be careful with my words. Uh, uh, and, and the kind of, I, I gotta be careful with the kind of destructive criticism that we're talking about. If I'm gonna move my kids toward anything that is great in this world, it is not gonna come from a beat down. It is gonna come from a lift up. Come on, you hear me? And if we're gonna be a great kind of church, we've gotta understand this ourselves. Destructive criticism is dangerous and it doesn't help as much as we think. Uh, B.F. Skinner, maybe you've heard of him, he's a very famous uh, psych psychologist. Uh, he proved through his experiments that animals rewarded for good behavior will learn much more rapidly and retain what is learned far more effectively than animals that were punished for bad behavior. Later, he went on to show the same cause and effect inside of the human mind, right? Um, and, and so if helping is our goal, we don't make lasting changes or improvement or lift through beating down. We make those things through what? Lifting up. Lifting up. And, it, and it's just simply true. Um, Hans Seeley, he is another great psychologist. He, he wrote this. As much as we thirst for approval, we dread condemnation. Think about that. 
as much as it's in your soul to want somebody to approve of your life, you also dread equally condemnation from other people. And so there's this adverse effect psychologically. The resentment that criticism brings, he goes on to write, sucks the life right out of employees and family members and friends and still does not correct the situation that you intended to correct. Right? Uh, in his ever popular book called How to Win uh, Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie, you ever heard of him, Dale Carnegie? Okay, this is what he writes. I think this is so good. He says, when dealing with people, let us remember we are not dealing with creatures of logic. We are dealing with creatures of emotion, creatures bristling with prejudices and motivated by pride and vanity. In other words, if you're ever going to do any good, you have to remember that people are People, and people have emotions and feelings. And so Dale Carnegie goes, goes on to write this. He says this, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain. And most fools do. Whoa. And most fools do. But it takes character and self-control to be understanding and forgiving. Right? That's so good. Uh, someone once said, uh, a great man shows his greatness by the way he treats little men. Come on. Did you hear that? Uh, someone once said, a great man shows his greatness by the way he treats little men. There's a um, very famous test pilot, he's dead now, but his name was Bob Hoover. And there was an article about him in one of the uh, famous aviation magazines. And it records that when he was doing a, um, one of those um, shows, uh, one of those air shows over uh, San Diego, uh, that he had a terrible accident. Uh, he was cruising in a plane and suddenly it lost power and uh, at about 300 feet and he had to immediately crash, not a lot of distance there, and he, he crashed the, the plane and it was a miracle. He was able to do some skillful maneuvering and he landed it on the ground, uh, but, it, but it destroyed the plane, but all three people in the plane were able to walk away. It was, it was, a, it was really a small miracle. But when he got out of the plane, uh, he said the very first thing that he did was he checked the fuel because he knew something was wrong with the fuel. And he later confirmed, because he was flying an old propeller plane from, from WW2, uh, that somebody had put jet fuel inside of a gasoline-driven engine. And of course, it conks out 300 feet in the air and almost kills everybody. And so when he finally hits the ground... He gets back to the hangar and he seeks out the guy who was the mechanic, the guy who got, was responsible for putting the plane airborne. And they thought this guy was going to go through the ringer. They thought that this pilot, who was a man of incredible excellence, was just going to just destroy this young line mechanic. But instead, as he approached this young kid, uh, it says that the people noticed that the kid was visibly shaking. He was terrified and he was streaming tears because he knew that he just cost a priceless plane and almost the life of three men. But when Bob Hoover went up to him, he says, you worked on my plane? And the kid goes, yeah, he's shaking in his boots. He says, all right, all right. I'm quite confident that you'll never make this mistake again. And just to prove it, you're going to be the one who launches my F-51 tomorrow for the show. And he walks away. You see, great men are determined by their greatness about how they treat little men. Right? It's true. Criticism never lifts anybody. It only destroys. It only beats down. It only keeps people from their best. So do you want to be a fault finder? Is that what we want to be? Come on. Is that what we want to be? Well, there is another option. And we're just going to call this a hope dealer. Uh, 
a hope, I didn't say a dope dealer. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> with an H. Don't eat the brownies. Are you crazy? <laughs> no, um, a hope dealer. Uh, this is how the scripture says it. I want you to hear these words. This is powerful, man. This is so powerful. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Paul, one of the great writers of the New Testament, uh, listen to the hope that he describes. Listen to the hope, the hope. It's about the hope. Listen, he says, verse 13, uh, I, I pray that God, the source of what? Come on. The source of hope will fill you completely with what? Joy and peace because you trust him. Why? Then you will overflow with confident what? Hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we can be fault finders or hope dealers. Fault finders or hope dealers. And this isn't an original thought. Uh, I just typed on the internet. Thoughts about, about criticism. People say you can either be a hope dealer or a fault finder. Choose your direction. Choose your family. Choose what you're going to become. It's this, that simple. Man, Paul, you look at this writer in the New, he wrote much of the New Testament. Paul was a world changer. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who influenced the world. He comes into a Roman occupied world where, where it was godless and he leaves with the cause of Christ planted in the entire world. Think about the world-changing effect that this guy had. And this guy was the chief hope dealer. Uh, anytime he would speak, anytime he would write, he wasn't going to tear people down. He was going to lift people up. He wasn't going to let any unwholesome talk come out of his mouth, but only that which was built, uh, useful for building other people up. He was the supreme hope dealer. And if you just walk through some of his writings, this is what the kind of stuff that Paul said. Listen to this. This is what he says to you and to me. This is, this is how we know the way God loves us. Listen to this. He says things like, this he says he says if you are in Christ he says therefore there is no condemnation over you no one condemns you that's pretty hopeful because I got a lot of things I could be condemned about come on anybody and he says there is no condemnation if you are in Christ he, he's the guy who wrote the old things in your life are gone but the new things in your life are what they're coming they're coming they're coming he's the one who writes that in all of your struggle Jesus himself makes intercession between you and God that he goes between you and God that's pretty hopeful that's pretty hopeful I need that. I don't know about you, but I need that. He, he's the one that says you are more than conquerors through him who loves you, through Jesus Christ who loves you. Amen? Anybody? That's pretty hopeful. He, he's the one who says neither height, nor death, nor life, nor uh, things high, nor things low, nor things wide. Uh, he says none of it, not, neither angels, nor demons, none of it can separate you from the love of God. That's pretty hopeful. And I need that, friends. I need that. That gives me hope. Do you want to be a fault finder or a hope dealer? The Pharisees, come on, they were fault finders. The devil is a fault finder. Do you hear me, friends? But Jesus, he's the hope giver. He's the hope dealer. As a matter of fact, if you were to page, uh, thumb through the pages of scripture, there is a, a writer in scripture, his name is Timothy. And Timothy says, Jesus is our hope. Uh, another writer named Titus, maybe you heard of him in the Bible. He says that Jesus is our blessed hope. Another writer named Peter says, Jesus is our living hope. That his hope does not die in us, but that it keeps us alive. Amen? Anybody? You hear this? This is good news, friends. Uh, so let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus held truth together with love. Because there is a time 
for constructive feedback, right? There is. And he was able to hold truth with love. As a matter of fact, in the scripture in John 8, um, there's a story where this immoral woman was caught in the act of adultery. We think it's kind of funny that they don't say anything about the men, <laughs> the man who was caught, but there was two. <laughs> and she's caught, and the Pharisees, those fault finders, it says that they drag her out, and they put her in the city street. And it says they gather around, and they start to talk about the law, the things that are obvious, right? The things like, that we should all know. And it says, do not commit adultery. And I'm like going, yeah, no doubt. Everybody should know that, Right? And they're saying, do not commit adultery. And because we caught you in the act of adultery, the scripture says that we should stone you because you are sinful. And so they pick up these stones and they surround this woman and they're getting ready to, to cast their stones at her. And, and Jesus comes up on this situation. It's probably pretty chaotic and she's probably not too well dressed at the moment, if you know what I mean. They caught her in the very act and I'm not sure how you dress when you're in the very act, but I'm thinking it's not too appropriate at the moment. And, and so she's out in the middle of the street and Jesus walks in and everybody turns to Jesus and they say, teacher, you're so good and you're so holy and you know what the law says. You know what we're supposed to do with people who behave like this. And Jesus said, oh, I know. I know exactly what to do. I know what is prescribed. And Jesus says something that I think is startling. He says, you're right, you're right. It says to stone this woman. And so I got an idea. All you guys standing around, all holier than thou, he says, you who is without sin, you get to throw the stone first and the rest of us will wait for you. Go ahead. And what does the scripture say? that each one slowly backed away because they realized that there is no one without sin. And Jesus upholds the law. He really does. The spirit of the law is to correct our decision-making. It is to correct our actions. And so Jesus lovingly turns toward this lady and he says, where are your critics now? Where are your fault finders now? Where are your accusers now? And then he says to her, I don't condemn you, and neither does God. But he holds truth, and he says, go and sin no more. Knock it off. Behave different. Live different. He doesn't give a beatdown. He gives a what? A lift up. Because greatness is never achieved through a beatdown. It's always achieved by lifting up. Truth with love. Truth with love. Amen? Anybody? And so when we look at this, um, we, we just need to ask the question. And it's going to be hard for some of us, especially guys like me. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Fault finder? It has destroyed a lot of our marriages. It has destroyed a lot of our parental relationships with our children and grandchildren. It has destroyed us in the marketplace. 
Who do you want to be? A fault finder or a hope dealer? A hope dealer. Listen, you have no idea, and I have no idea how just foolish we look when you criticize, when you criticize, and we criticize. We think it makes us look better, but it's not. It doesn't work. Um, But one word of encouragement can change the course of somebody's life. And so it says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only that which is useful to what? Come on. To build up, to lift up. And so, and so there are people in your life, you might have a grandson who is really, really sloppy, but he's really good at other things. You need to figure out how to build into that son and yet lift him up a little bit and correct some things, but you got to figure out how to speak life into that little guy, right? Your, your wife may not be the most organized person in the world, but she is a wonderful mother. And you might want to start with, woo, you are a wonderful mother. And you're wonderful at some other things, Right? I mean, your husband may not win like an award for keeping the, the, the best like lawn on earth, but he's out there working for you. He's out there mowing that lawn. He's out there pulling those weeds and, and he's you know, all like got the black socks pulled up to his you know, knees and you're like going, what? So you may just want to walk out there and say, I like what I'm seeing. <laughs> just start with that, right? And take it somewhere. I'm just saying, listen, we have got to figure out how to speak life. Speak life. Your boss might drive you crazy at work, but there's something there that, that he gets right or she gets right. Lift them up. Lift them up. And it will give you a pathway for constructive feedback later. It'll give you the pathway. Amen? And, and so a critical heart is a poisoned heart. Can you just think about that? Can you maybe take a picture of that and put that on your phone? Can you write that down? A critical heart is a poisoned heart. And we don't want a poisoned heart. I I just want to end with this little little thought because uh, not only is it good for people around us, but I'm learning this. It's good for me when I lift, when I lift. Uh, there's a really interesting thing I found. It was, blew my mind, really. Uh, there's a doctor, a uh, psychiatrist out there named David H. Fink, and he wrote an article for one of the psychologist magazines out there, and he, it was called Release from the Nervous Tension. Release from Nervous Tension. And the whole article was about people who have uh, constant intensity and tension in their life. Anybody like that? It's like you just feel like there's just this edge all the time to you. Anybody in the room feel like this, okay? Uh, and you just kind of go, I don't understand. Why are my relationships not smooth? Why are they not easy? Why are they not good? Why is there always tension? So get this. He studies 10,000 subjects, 10,000 subjects, and tracks them, and he's trying to figure out what is the causal relationship between a person's behavior and the uh, the tense feelings that they feel in their relational world. And, And this is what he says. Listen to this. He says, um, there were uh, the people who suffered from the greatest and most severe tension in our studies, they were habitual fault finders, constant critics of people and things around them in their home and in their business. Those uh, free from tension, listen, were the least critical in life, least argumentative in life. Isn't that interesting? The conclusion of the study says, Fault finding is a prelude to a nervous breakdown. Fault finding is a prelude to divorce. Fault filing is a prelude to a job separation. 
fault finding is a prelude to relational breakdown in your world. So, it seems like the opposite would be true too. Building up, lifting is the pathway to relational wholeness. Amen? Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Pause for one second. That includes Facebook. That includes social media. That includes people that you cannot see but that you type toward. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth.